J.M. Bullpit. Read by Jack Collard. Chapter 4. Casualties Maybe it was the thought that he was spending the rest of his teenage years with Gabriel Sage that took its toll on Robbie, but some sort of mental fatigue meant that he did not rise until the middle of the morning the next day. Sitting up in the creaking camp bed, he wondered why his stomach hurt so much, and then remembered that he had hardly eaten the day before. As he sat rubbing his belly, Robbie pondered over his situation and realised not for the first time in his fifteen years of life that he was alone and isolated, with only his mother for company. Ellie Ash had been traipsing around the country with her son for years now, having decided to largely home-educate Robbie and occasionally others, rather than risk becoming established anywhere. It was as if she was deliberately exiling herself from Bristol as well as from Grandma Gwen and Robbie's best friend, Ivan Noon. Mother and son would sometimes return to Bristol, as they had done for the last few weeks, and these had been some of the happiest times in Robbie's life, but it was never long before Ellie Ash was itching to move on. Only this time, it was permanent. Robbie knew that his mother loved him and that she was providing him with sound learning, but also knew that theirs was not a typical existence. He had made the odd friend or two amongst the other home-educated children, but every time they relocated, distance combined with time would erode away the friendships he had formed until he came to rely almost entirely on the company of his mother, grandmother and Ivan Noon. Robbie had barely begun to ponder his history when Gabriel Sage marched into the room. "'You have five minutes, Robert,' he declared, retrieving a grimy shovel and trowel from beneath the camp bed. Five minutes to be outside and in the car. You and I are going on a hunt today. I want to gauge how useful you might be to me. Robbie hardly registered a word. 
He was staring at the garments of his soon-to-be stepfather, who had donned an all-in-one blue working overall over his predictable combination of shirt, bow-tie, waistcoat and jacket. The outfit was accessorised with a pair of yellow washing-up gloves that echoed the mustard colour of the peeping waistcoat. Robert, what did I just say? Outside, in the jag. Five minutes. Correct. Why are you clutching your stomach? asked Sage. It's nothing, replied Robbie. Good. I'm not carting some cripple around the countryside. There'll be no passengers on my ventures, young man. You'll pay your way here. Gabriel Sage about-faced and bowled out of the room. Four and a half minutes. Robbie got dressed in the fine quality clothes his grandmother had given him before they left Bristol, and then he pounded upstairs to check on his mother. She was sleeping peacefully, but her temperature was still high, even though a cool, damp flannel had been placed on her forehead. A small handbell stood on a bedside table, but Robbie wondered whom it was supposed to alert if both he and Gabriel Sage were out all day. Descending the stairs, Robbie found a large kitchen towards the back of the property. Breakfast was out of the question, though, due to the room reeking of something like pungent medicine and the revelation that the contents of the fridge consisted almost entirely of the bodies of small mammals and birds with the freezer section full of insects. There was a sharp toot on a car horn. Robbie sighed and shuffled back into the museum. Inside, the builders were hard at work, but it was clear that all of them kept a wary eye on the exhibits. Robbie stopped the carpenter he had briefly spoken to on the previous day. Excuse me, I'm sorry to do this to you, but my mother's ill upstairs. If you hear a bell ringing, would you see what she wants? Sorry, Nipper, but we're behind as it is and that. Your stepfather will have me stuffed and mounted and added to this flaming museum if he thinks we've dropped the pace even a mite. He can be a right old... There was a second, prolonged blast of a car horn. But I don't need to tell you that. Please, I have to go with him, Robbie pleaded. Several other builders had stopped their work and cast sympathetic looks at Robbie's. Please. I ain't doing any nursing, but I'll make sure your ma wants for nothing. Thank you. Thank you. Robbie shook the man's hand, dashed out of the building and clambered into the passenger seat of the growling vintage car. Seven minutes, Robert, spat Gabriel Sage, wheel spinning the car out into the road before Robbie had even shut his door. Never keep me waiting. I had to check on Mum. Gabriel Sage chewed on his bottom lip for a moment. I suppose such sentiment is to be expected. Three minutes late, though. It won't do in the future. The vintage Jaguar growled with latent power as it was steered towards the smaller byways over the moors. Now, Robert, I know you and I have hardly been chums, but if you obey the rules I am about to set out for you, we shall muddle through. Firstly, you will never contradict anything I say. Truly, I do know best, and as far as you're concerned, my word is law. Secondly, you will do what I tell you, and when I tell you, to do it. 
Also, you will never try to play your mother and myself against each other by running away to complain to her about me, or you will rue the day. I have no qualms with beating children if I believe they deserve it. I have waited a long time to make this endeavour a reality. I will have no one jeopardise it now, especially not some imbecilic teenager. Am I making myself crystal clear? Robbie nodded. There had to be some charm, some appeal, some hidden element about this flamboyant, selfish character that did not rank him as obnoxious, Robbie reasoned, or why his mother would want to spend the rest of her life with him. Now, keep your eyes peeled, Robert. What are we on the lookout for? Casualties. There appeared to be no sense of destination to the car ride. The leaping silver cat on the bonnet led the way as they swept into little lanes, prowled along the main roads and then nosed into lanes again as if trying to locate the scent of the quarry. On more than one occasion, Robbie found that they were travelling back along a road they had just taken but in the opposite direction. It hasn't been this barren for an age, muttered Gabriel Sage after half an hour as he sat hunched over the steering wheel. Rabbits haven't started to migrate, have they? We should have spotted a mixy-riddled specimen at the very least. Robbie was beginning to understand the purpose of bringing the shovels, the trowel, the tongs, as well as the plastic sheeting on the back seat, when his soon-to-be stepfather uttered, At last, a victim! The old jaguar glided to a halt beside the body of a rabbit stretched out upon the grass verge. The animal appeared as if it might have been trying to top up its tan, but no amount of warmth could help this creature. Gabriel Sage leapt out of the car, bent down, sniffed the corpse and began to study it intimately. Robert, pick up our patient with the utmost care. It is fresh, less than an hour dead and hardly damaged. A real find. Robbie ignored the shovel offered to him by Gabriel Sage, genuflected besides the dead rabbit, and tenderly raised it from the grass with his hands. A little stream of blood flowed down his hands and dripped onto the coat and boots his grandmother had given him just before he and his mother had left Bristol. The baptism of blood did not stain either the coat or his boots in the slightest, but ran off the material as water does on wax to soak into the earth like a blessing or a sacrifice. Gabriel Sage seemed pleased with Robbie and quickly reached for a large shoebox lined with plastic sheeting. The rabbit was sealed inside and carefully installed into the boot of the vintage car. Good, Robert. Nicely done, declared Gabriel Sage, as the car trembled into life, then purred out into the road and they continued on their hunt for the dead. Executed with care and without a trace of pathetic squeamishness. Gratifying. It was hardly a matter of Robbie being keen to pick up the corpses of animals, but he was not queasy about such things either. The lifeless rabbit brought to mind an incident he had shared with his friend Ivan Noon back in Bristol. The memory was of Ivor vaulting across the garden, the swinging and pitching of his muscular arms causing his trademark loping gait. 
Then he was beckoning Robbie to a robin that was dying from the attentions of a cat. Robbie did not like the sensations of holding a small, dying creature in his hands, but the little robin was beyond any show of resistance. The rapid heaving of its chest began to falter as its life waned. What should we do? Robbie had asked, anxiously. We should kill it, Ivor had replied. It would be a mercy. I don't like to. It's not a case of liking to, Robbie, Ivor explained. It's a case of necessity, duty even. It's in your hands. They had not killed the robin, however, but Robbie had attributed many profound emotions to its tired gaze before it shuddered and closed its eyes on the world. Later, they found a large matchbox and buried the little bird where they had found it. Beyond value, Ivor had uttered in a respectful hush. To this day, Robbie did not know if his friend was talking about robins, the experience of watching the bird die, or life in general. The next creature Robbie and his soon-to-be stepfather came across was a hedgehog that had been squashed flat into the road, but far from stopping to pick it up, Sage drove his car over the dead body of the hapless animal as if it had never existed. Clearly, his love of animals extended only to the quality and intactness of their frames and pelts. Every 24 hours, there's a fresh crop, Robert, just waiting there for collection and all for free, too. Death is my partner, my assistant, and my inspiration. There appeared to be very few vehicles to encounter on the narrow moorland roads at this time of year, leaving Robbie wondering if the dead animals might not have been hit accidentally by traffic at all, but were voluntarily committing suicide instead. He had retrieved the bodies of five rabbits, three hedgehogs, one crow, and a fox by lunchtime, but even though his stomach ached, he felt far from hungry. Robbie was more worried about how his mother might be faring and was relieved when Gabriel Sage started to talk about bringing the day's hunt to an end. Well, the hall's not enormous, but not shabby either, said Gabriel Sage as they began to head for home. If you continue to behave in this manner, Robert, we may even become quite chummy. Don't place your bloody hands on my seats. Good. As you may have gathered, the majority of my collection is brought together thus. Yet you will have noticed that some of the more exotic creatures on display in the museum are not native to these isles, and, I doubt not, you are wondering where I obtain such animals, Sage pronounced, smoothing down the centre of his moustache and not even glancing at the boy beside him. Over years, I have forged good relations with several zoos and private collectors. People are only too keen for someone else to dispose of their dead, you see. I provide... Oh, yes, 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 the gods are shining! Gabriel Sage appeared to go into a trance of ecstasy. The cause was a deer lying dead in front of a gate leading to a small copse. Robbie watched, transfixed, as the gangly figure pranced around the fallen doe, hardly able to contain himself, the washing-up gloves clasped against his chest as if in prayer. 
It took both of them all their strength to heave the hefty animal onto the plastic sheeting on the back seat of the car, where it reclined in a slovenly repose, its muzzle pressed up against the back window. You see, Robert, most people are too pedestrian, too feeble-minded in their ambitions, proclaimed Gabriel Sage from the driver's seat, glancing between Robbie and the road with a wide-eyed dementedness. My own mother and father were cursed with a terminal lack of aspirations and an unforgivable ability to try to stifle greatness in their son. Twisted, freakish, I was called when I was younger, and not just by my family. Men and women are content to devour the flesh of animal, happy to guzzle down its various organs and muscle, wear their skins and pelts, yet somehow many seem unable to cope with my calling, my craft, to take these same animals and make them poetic, heroic, eternal, a unique legacy. The vintage car was brought to a sudden, skidding halt in the middle of the lane, causing the dead deer's nose to squeal down the back window. Gabriel Sage turned to Robbie and stared at him with an unblinking intensity, his voice in rapture. My notion, my whole endeavour is to create nothing short of a mythological heritage for this country. Maybe the world... The museum is but the opening salvo to my campaign. But I have such scope, such determination. He leaned in towards Robbie as if unwilling to let any concealed spies overhear his designs, yet desperate to share his secret with someone, anyone. Then he whispered, You see, I have begun to mix animals, produce hybrids. I can create the bodies of creatures from extinction, even legend and myth. I'll wager that few, if any, could prove many of my specimens to be fakes. I am that good. I could produce the evidence for a hidden history for everyone to believe in. What a legacy! They stared at each other with a shared expression for several moments. Then the jaguar roared back into life. Robbie had to stop himself from laughing. Even though the information was astonishing, it was hard to take seriously when delivered by a man dressed in a suit covered with blue overalls and wearing washing-up gloves. No promises, and this may be premature, but if you keep up this good behaviour, I may even show you the secret of my talent. Don't do me any favours, thought Robbie. I'm more than willing to wait.